Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh59. This week we have all four regular hosts, just barely. I am Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet and the internet spam primer helping you get your inbox back. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the mobile game developer who also teaches people how to get the most from their Macs at MacMost.com and how to get the most from WordPress at WPTipsAndHacks.com. I'm Leo Notenboom, lover of coffee, corgis, and computers, not always in that order, and not a fan of snow right now. Uh, we're <laughs> kind of digging out from that. And of course, I'm the Leo behind AskLeo.com. I'm Kevin Savitz. I am creator of freeprintable.net and faxzero.com, useful sites for doing useful little things. And little bleeps. I, that was not me. I did not bleep. That was I, me. What, what was your, who's bleeping? Why are you bleeping, Leo? I don't know. I guess you uh, thought you were going to say something bad. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a meeting coming up, apparently. <laughs> oh. Huh. Got to record a podcast. <laughs> oh, get going then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, I'm fairly impressed that our recording software is recording system sounds. I didn't expect that to happen. I, th I think I heard it through your mic. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Shouldn't have been because I'm listening through my headphones, and it's certainly not making its way through my skull. Hmm. Maybe Ooh. your skull has pass-through enabled right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what have we been up to this week? Well, I got a new backup drive. I haven't uh, upgraded to when... 10 yet, as I uh, said last week, decided to uh, get a new backup drive. But what really drove that decision is my wife's new computer is a lemon, and uh, we're fighting with Dell to take it back. And they have agreed to, but they haven't actually uh, put that in writing yet. So theoretically, it'll happen soon, and then we'll have to get her something else. Interesting. Yeah, you have some experience with sending things back to Dell, don't you, Randy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and, and Lenovo, as I understand. Oh, tell, yeah, tell the story. Our listeners do not know well, the long history of Dell Hell. Yes, so I have a page on my site called Dell Hell, and I have to pull it up to, t to see what year it was. It was a while ago, 2004. Um, I bought a new Dell computer, and it had it died practically out of the box, and you know I had a service contract, so they sent um, a bunch of parts for the service guy so he could replace whatever it was that was wrong, and they sent a box that was so big it was more it seemed like more than enough to completely rebuild the entire computer, everything in there, motherboard. Um, keyboard, display. I mean, it just went on and on and on. I've got a picture of it on, on the website. This is true.com slash Dell Hell. And long story short, they didn't get it fixed in time for, for my international trip that I was going on. And when I got back, they said, oh, well, you're past your, um, your time that you can get a refund on this. You can't, you know, it's a 30-day limit, man. And so I raised hell. And I actually had the next day two different Dell executives call me on the phone saying, we're sorry, we'll fix it. 
and uh, it was wow. quite the ordeal. So, what did you? How do you raise hell to get two executives to call you? Like you have an in, email uh, newsletter with more than a hundred thousand <laughs> subscribers. See. I see. All right, I'll get me, myself one of those. Yeah, you got to have one of those. <laughs> I wish I had one still, um, but it was for a long time, for years. If you went and Googled Dell Hell, I was number one. So what's the story on the current machine, Randy? Because so the current machine, when the tech got here, they you know we have a next business day, you know tech support with the come to the house, and uh, he he got here after only three or four days, it included a weekend. Okay, but um, he took a look at it and listened to my description of what was going on. And he said, you know what, they didn't send me the right parts to fix that. And if I was you, I would just return it. And when the tech says that, it's like, okay, we're done. Interesting. What what uh, model is that? Um, it's the two-in-one. I don't remember the exact model number. It's a latitude of some sort? Yeah, it's a latitude. Um, you know, two-in-one means it's a... It's like it's like a tablet, but it also snaps into a keyboard and it right. runs right. Windows, not you know Chrome or something like that. I just I find it interesting because you've you've actually had a, a lot of bad luck, and not just with Dell, but with um, other manufacturers as well. I'm starting to think it's you. Um, actually, this time it's Kit, my wife. Um, last last time it was the Lenovo, uh, that was mine, and they first of all replaced it for free after like a year of problems. And um, they gave me the you know, the newer model. And since I had bought the top of the line of the previous model, they gave me the top of the line of that model, even though it was more expensive. And uh, I had troubles, so many troubles with that one. The guy I was working with said, we'll send you a check. Go ahead and put it in the box. Interesting. Yeah, it's got to be the altitude out there or something. I it's, don't know. It's, it's very interesting just because, as you know, I also got myself a new computer. Um, and in fact, you know, to quote Madge from the Palmolive commercials, you're soaking in it. We're using it right now. And uh, while I've had a hiccup or two, it's certainly not been uh, nearly as as bad as what you, what you just went through. And this too was a Dell, although it's, a, it's an XPS and not a Latitude. But I've always had good experiences with Latitudes as well. Well, if if I stay with Dell, it'll be an XPS. I did find one that I like because um, this time I'm specking it instead of her. And um, we'll see. Well, good luck. We uh, We will be interested in the updates as that story progresses. Yeah. So that's why I haven't upgraded my computer to Windows 10 yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I did get a nifty new... Um, external USB 3 hard drive. How big? Four terabytes. And I was blown away. That's now less than a hundred dollars. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. It's just incredible. Yeah. It's mind blowing. But then, you know, we say that pretty much every year. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. Smaller numbers going backwards, but yes, it's pretty incredible how much, how much they're cramming into the boxes and for how little money it is. So, I, I that just arrived today, so I'm going to be uh, backing up my computer not only to my network attached storage unit that's a you know eight terabyte um, RAID pack, 
but also to this little portable so that I have redundant backups before I go and fool around with the operating system. Yay. Thanks. All right, who's next? Kevin, what's up? I'll be next. I got a lot. I got a lot to talk about. Um, so my wife and I have an an annual tradition uh, going back more than 25 years now where every Valentine's Day, we watch the worst movie we can find. Um, and it's, this started off a long time ago where we went to a movie on Valentine's Day and it turned out to be pretty bad. And then so we decided to just run with that. And, and this year, the movie we saw was, was tech-related. Uh, we saw a, a movie called Heart Beeps, uh, which was a uh, 1981 movie uh, um, starring uh, Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters, in which uh, oh, in what which, a couple! <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. You stole my heart, right? Um, uh, in which uh, two robots uh, fall in love. These are malfunctioning robots that are meant to like. like be household servants in, in various ways and they are on the shelf because they don't work and they're put up in the factory and then they fall in love and go on an adventure and the movie is not very good at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. No, no. Um, but that was the point. So that was the point. So success, that was a, uh, a success. Uh, I never actually heard of this movie before. I mean, I'd seen, I've seen a lot of eighties uh, tech movies, um, you know, good and bad but uh this one just had eluded me but now i've seen it so i've yeah. heard of it but i definitely haven't seen it so also my my local uh uh, uh theater um local nonprofit theater here here in, in portland um they just did a fundraiser to buy a 70 millimeter new print of uh, 2001 a space odyssey yeah. So uh, like to see. yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, for some, some reason, somehow they, they are managing to get a, a, a newly freshly printed 70 millimeter. So, um, you know, I've, of course I've seen the movie, but probably high def was the best I've seen it. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, once, once they have all that set up, seeing that in, uh, it's full glory and, and take the family to see that. So funny. I ended up purchasing the, uh, the 4k Blu-ray edition of, uh, 2001. Mm-hmm. And uh, only after I purchased it did I find out that uh, my Blu-ray, my the Blu-ray prayer I have, uh, won't read it. So <laughs> it's That's sitting on a shelf right. in, in, until I get until I get better better hardware or something um, to deal with it. Huh. I'm stuck yeah. with that. So I've actually got now three copies: uh, regular def, um, HD, um, and now this 4K. Because <laughs> that's like that's a touchstone movie for me. It just really is. So. Yeah. Hmm. I'm looking forward to, uh, I don't think my, my daughter has seen it yet. Looking forward to taking her to see it and uh, uh, interested to see what, what she thinks, but I'll, I'll be interested to see if she's got the patience because movies didn't move at the same pace. Oh, that's a, it's a slow. Yeah. It's a slow ride for sure. <laughs> um, and see my other techie thing is uh, I've had, I've been a bad tech dad for the last several years um our home theater system has had the the situation where um we have three remotes to make things work you know you've got the the one remote to to turn on the the av unit and one to control the roku and another just you only need to make the the projection 
thing turn on. And at one point years ago when we moved here, I, I got a Logitech remote control. It was programmable. And I, I knew how to use it, but it had a little screen on it and it felt like complicated. And it, it, I was never really happy with it. Um, it, it was it was not, not something that anyone else in the family could really like feel that they understood. So um, I decided to fix that problem and did some research a few days ago and discovered um, a unit called the Logitech Harmony Smart Control with smartphone app and simple all-in-one remote black. It's the name of this thing that I got on Amazon. And uh, so the, the thing is, like, like, well, like one of my, my complicating problems is in the intervening years, we got a, a, a the, the Roku and it uses RF uh, instead of infrared. So that really meant having two remotes and because um, the my old Logitech remote didn't do RF and, and, Anyway, so this remote comes with this thing, this hub. It's called a Harmony Hub that receives RF. And this little remote control, and it's a small little, relatively felt little unit that doesn't have 2,000 buttons. It only has, you know, 200. Um, (laughs) um, It it works with RF, and it talks to, to this little hub that goes, you know, in your AV area. And then when necessary, it translates the information and retransmits it uh, via infrared to the, infra- the the infrared devices. So it can talk to the Roku and it can talk to the the AV system and turn on the projector and, and all that stuff. Um, the way they're selling this thing is, I mean, they literally sell it like you can control your stereo system through your phone and isn't that great? And you can use the app. And for other people, you know, for grandma or whatever, they can use this little easy to use remote control. And that, that's exactly what I want. It's just for, for everybody. I don't want to use an app to tr- watch Netflix. I just want a simple remote, single remote control. So Turn I f- down the TV. Hold on. Let me get my phone out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so stupid. So anyway, I got the thing. It worked beautifully, like from the start. And I had to tell it, yeah, you know, here's my Roku and here's my such and such baby system. And this is my projector. And it just works and it's simple and um one remote and, and i i told the family i'm just like you know what are you doing i said I have this one remote that's controls everything and they're they, both the, the wife and the daughter were just like we don't believe you right and th- so that worked and it was super simple and i was happy with it and then i i went uh crazy and uh, there's an Alexa skill. And so now you can literally say, Alexa, turn on Netflix. And then just like the screen comes down, the projector comes on, Roku goes to Netflix and it just, it's ready to go. So um, pretty impressed with the Logitech Harmony smart control with smartphone app and simple all-in-one remote black from Logitech. And so, of course I want to see it. So you'll give me the URL for the there show. There is a, a link in the show notes, certainly. It's so. funny because I, um, about a month ago, I finally got around to, reprogramming my existing Logitech. It's a Harmony One, I think it is, or something. Yeah. Like it's, you know, four, five, six years old, something like that. It's been around forever. And, of course, I've had equipment upgrades in that time, and you never get around to reprogramming it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I reprogrammed it, and I was shocked that um, not only did it reprogram everything just fine, including, you know, the TV, the... The, the the odd Sony receiver that you never see anywhere. Of mm-hmm. course, it did Direct TV because they all do Direct TV. Sure. Um, 
It also runs my Xbox, hmm. which I thought was because my Xbox for me is less of a gaming device and more of a streaming device these days. It, it has apps for all of the major streaming services. And I was just really impressed that, you know, this device, this, this uh, remote was probably created before the Xbox existed. And yet um, it works and it works well. So I've mm-hmm. been very pleased with that. It's, it's, it's a, uh, um, an unusual in this industry, an unusually positive experience to see something that old continue to work and, and just work with newer technologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, agreed. I had the same thing when I was setting it up. I was, I was worried because like the, my AV unit, it's only been out a few months. I mean, it's, and I'm just like, this is really new. Is it going to be in there? It was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And my projector, pretty, it's not really a consumer unit. We end, ended up getting a, a, a high-end professional sort of thing because because of the requirements of the room. It's so bright in there. And it was just like, sure, got it, no problem. It's like, but you've got to press off twice to turn it off. And it was, yep, it's like, it did it. Just like, you know, it's just like, don't bother me. I got it. I got this. Just, just, just watch, watch your shows and, and, and shh, 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 you're going to be okay. Well, yeah, now, of course, I'm really, really tempted because, you know, the phone app and the Alexa app, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, oh, boy, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it might be time for an upgrade. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I just like the idea of just a a uh, smart remote that can is simple. It's actually it's got it's got to be so smart that literally you know a child can use it. So one remote to rule them all. That's right. Exactly. Uh, I'm still rocking three remotes, just like you used to. <laughs> actual and the fun, so the funny thing is that three remotes do not include the actual TV remote, which is supposed to be like according to Samsung, the smartest, greatest, most uh-huh. amazing one remote to rule them all. And in fact, I did go through the steps to say, okay, if that's the case, can you control my sound system and the TV and Apple TV and DirecTV? And the answer is yes, but I will do it through so many button presses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like literally because you have to map it. I mean, it maps it to like these like four direction arrow keys that – so you have to go through so many more steps. Whereas like with the Apple TV remote, there's a little trackpad makes it quick and easy. And direct TV's got like, you know, a channel up and down as well as like an arrow up and down that you can flip through channels really mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. It's like, so you could, I could, could control everything with my Samsung remote, but with so many more steps that the Samsung remote sits completely unused in, in the, uh, you know, the bin where all the remotes live. And the, I turn on the sound system with one remote. I turn on like either direct TV or Apple TV with another remote. Uh, and I have to just use switch between those two. And the, and one of one system, I think it's Apple TV. The will not turn the volume up or down. Hmm. Like it doesn't go through. It has to go through the TV th- out to the fiber, you know, the, uh, whatever is, you know, the audio fiber out or whatever. And the, um, the Apple TV one won't do it. And the direct TV one does. And you never can remember which one it is when you actually need to change the volume. So yeah, it's just whatever. It's just life. Just have all the remotes there in a little bin and grab at them when you need them. When I was visiting my mom uh, at Christmas, I was kind of impressed by her new remote on her uh, cable TV. I think it's probably Comcast where she just pushes a button and says, you know, MSNBC or CNN or mm. whatever. And it just moves there. Yeah. Hmm. They've been advertising the heck out of that service. And yeah. And I think I'm, it's pretty neat. And, and you know, she's going to be 95 years old next month. Yeah, that's what impresses me most is that she's doing it. 
Yeah, and she can work it. It's like cool. Yep. Nice. All right, what's next? Um, I just, you know, this last week, it's all been about snow. We had way too much snow, and I'm done with snow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be done with mud in about another day or two. But <laughs> um, So that's that's been my life for the last week. We still haven't had any here, and my weather app on my phone always says snow is a week away. Like, at any given point. I just checked it now. It's just like, yep, there'll be snow, you know, on Sunday. I'm just like, liar. You've been saying that. For a, for three weeks now, I'm very frustrated. I want some of your snow. Send it down here. I wish I could. It was record. <laughs> it was record setting up here. This was absolutely, um, you know, I've lived my entire life uh, in and around where I'm at right now, and this was the most I've ever seen uh, on the ground here at, at you know, at quote unquote sea level. So, Ugh. yep, fun times. Mm-hmm. Gary, what's up with you? Uh, I've been working on a. Uh, I got a new course that I hope will launch this week. Um, I surveyed a lot of my users a while ago asking what new course they wanted me to make. And uh, sometimes the answer is not one you expect. Right. A lot of people wanted me to make a course on iCloud. And to me, it's like, oh, well, iCloud's just a thing. You just you switch it on and you use parts of it. And, you know, but a lot of people don't, you know, get iCloud or, you know, feel they're missing something with iCloud or, or, Whatever. So, you know, I put together a course and it actually turned out to be a pretty lengthy course once you start, start looking at all the different parts. It's funny because I, I was thinking before the show how there's, you know, Google basically has a similar system to iCloud, you know, and they, because they've got the Android phones and they want everything to sync up and all. Right. But they just don't call it anything. It isn't called like G Cloud, <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, there's Google Drive. And there's Google Calendar, and there's Gmail, and there's all these different things. And everybody seems to grasp that very easily because they're different products. So nobody's like, nobody who doesn't need Google Calendar, for instance, or Google Docs is going saying, oh, I, I really need to learn about Google Calendar or Google Docs. You just don't use it. And if you happen to use Gmail, then you use that. But with iCloud, everybody's like, oh, there's all these different aspects, and I eh, am I missing out? I don't know. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's a diff- there's a perception thing there. I think Google has stumbled upon the right way to do it, which is not to name it, to not come up with a name for it, just implement different features. Oh, I hate to tell you that. What? Google is trying to get it all under one roof with something called Google One, and I signed up for that a few weeks ago. Oh well, there you go. Yeah. Okay, but they're gonna. So so far, that's only a, a rebranding of essentially Google Drive. Okay. Which- itself got rebranded a while back the, the little tool you used to you install on your pc mm-hmm. you used to call it google um google drive and now it's google backup and sync so well, it's a little bit more than that because it yeah you, know, you can use the um, google photos and all that stuff and you can share the the space around which you probably could do with google drive right. but they also say that you have access to actual humans to get support I haven't tried that yet. But I did actually. Part of it. I did have you? I have Google One uh, because I needed uh, some more storage space for my Gmail. Remember when Gmail was 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 going to be all the storage you could ever need, and you got more every minute, and you you mm-hmm. could never remember that. That was yeah. that was, it was fun. It was a fun time. Then they uh, realized they could pay. You could they could charge for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this months ago, I needed uh, more storage space for. I have two Gmail accounts, and I needed more room and the thing that hooked me was that you could share your space with 
uh, up to four people, I think. Um, so I got Google One for my account and then created a family and basically added myself, my other account to that family. And now I have 100 gigabytes. Oh, that was tricky. Yeah. Uh, added 100 gigabytes that I can share it with myself. So that's fine. And now I'm using 17% of that across everything and you know, I'm never going to fill it. So, uh, yeah. So can you fine. add, can you add that other account as a deduction on your taxes? Dependent. <laughs> <laughs> my, my demo Gmail account is my dependent. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, when I, when I started, um, I was having issues because I was part of our, I was already, already part of a, of a family that from my, my wife's Google account, she has a YouTube TV account and my account was part of that family and I couldn't be part of two families. And anyway, so I had to get out of her family and start a new family. And <laughs> yeah, so anyway, it broke up my, it broke up my marriage, but, um, but you got lots of storage out of it. But I got yeah. lots of storage and the Google expert actually helped me with that. And yeah. You know. And now you're marrying the Google expert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny. Cause a happy also- ending. We all seem to be heading in that direction about sometime late last year, I ended up getting uh, Google One also, uh, also for my business account, much like you, Kevin, I have two Google accounts, one mm-hmm. for work and one for personal. And uh, But I haven't done the sharing thing. I'm going to have to look into that. Um, what I discovered, and I think I mentioned this to you guys at some point, uh, all of my server side backups, uh, both of all the WordPress sites and um, from the server itself, uh, can push directly to uh, Google Drive, uh, which makes this probably the, at least for me, I did the analysis, the most cost-effective uh, uh, storage solution for uh, my online backups. So that's been working really well. Hmm. Interesting. Very nice. Yeah, I actually, I, I've got, I don't pay for any extra Google space, but I do pay an additional iCloud for extra Dropbox space. And for for various reasons, working with some other people that use Dropbox. And, um, you know, I have all this old archive data and every five years or so, I'd like to get a new drive and move it to a new drive, you know, so it's kind of stays up to date, um, you know, from USB 2 to USB 3 last time, all that sort of thing. And uh, this time, this was a couple months ago, I didn't do that. Instead, since I had a one terabyte Dropbox account, I created a folder on Dropbox I uploaded all of it to it. I think it was like 400 gigs uh, worth of old archive stuff. And then I simply unshared that drive with myself. (laughs) So it's not syncing to any of my devices. And it's Mm -hmm. available if I go to dropbox.com, log into my account, there it is. And if any time I want to, I could switch that back on and it would resync and send all the 400 gigabytes to my, my local drive. But, uh, but it's my first time using cloud storage rather than local storage. For one of, it's funny, one of the archive. best features that Dropbox, because I also, on the personal side, I've got a two terabyte um, Dropbox account, which is where most of my uh, photographs get stored now mm-hmm. after deciding that that's cheap, it was cheaper than uh, Amazon S3. The, um, the feature that is very cool in both uh, Dropbox and, as it turns out, OneDrive is something that is generally, generally referred to as selective sync which means you can have two terabytes worth of data in your Dropbox account, but you, that doesn't mean you have to download all two terabytes onto every machine that's subscribed. Right. 
which is makes it incredibly useful for exactly the kinds of things that uh, that you just described, Gary. And yep. in my case, you know, like managing my photographs, I've got you know years and years and years of photographs, and I've got you know room on a couple of my machines here, but on this new laptop, there just isn't enough room on the hard disk for me to have it all there, and I don't need it all there. So it's nice just to be able to say, okay, give me you know 2018 and 2019 photos, and we'll we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what I, uh, photos is a big part of that archive, that old archive. Yep. So yeah. Cool. Cool. So, Randy. <laughs> yeah, I saw this uh, article in The Verge that I'll link to, of course, about this interesting little AI generator site that creates people's faces. Um, it's called This Person Does Not Exist. Dot com. And every time you land on that page or refresh it, it generates an entirely new person's face that doesn't exist using AI technology. There's some interesting, weird things that it can't do really well. I've, I grabbed a couple of uh, examples of like really weird hair or there was one that kind of put in a, uh, a Bluetooth headset, but it carved out a chunk of the face to put the headset into, which was <laughs> interesting. So it's not perfect, but you know, you look at these faces and you say, this is not a cartoon. This is not a drawing. This is not a police, you know, describe the suspect kit thing that, that always looks totally bogus. These look like real human faces. Dude, they look super real. These have to be pre-rendered though, right? I mean, it's not doing this in real time when you click. I don't know. Supposedly, if you, it, the article claims that it's rendering it in real time, which is yeah. also amazing given the level. Yeah. Of the it's, I'm sorry. It's, some of these people are, I mean, they're all very realistic. And some of them, you're just like, wow, you know, this person is beautiful. And there was a kid, there was one kid. I'm just like, oh, this kid's about to cry. You know, I'm just like totally realistic uh, in, in many different ways, you know? Yeah, it's not just blank faces. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the backgrounds are really screwy. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the heck is going on? They're like in some sort of lava flow or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got another one of a kid that's like, why doesn't he have an arm and shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and another one that I, you know, I'm just sitting here doing refresh. And one that I stopped at was, oh my God, that's my assistant. Hmm. I mean, it looked my, like my assistant, except, you know, the picture had brunette and my assistant is blonde, but I, I actually saved it to show to her uh, when she gets back from vacation because it's like, take a look at this. Well, that's the, there's a sci-fi story. You just you keep refreshing <laughs> yourself. I'm yeah, just, it turns out my assistant, yeah. Andrew. Am I, am I real? <laughs> well, I'm looking at one right now, and you're right. Um, this young lady needs a shave. <laughs> <laughs> well, an interesting thing that I thought from the Verge article was that there's some downsides to this. Um, they, they bring in deep fakes, which, you know, you can do things like non-consensual porn and, you know, paste somebody's face onto another body. You know, the AI is getting good enough that they can do that in a very realistic way. Yeah. Oh, did that uh, stop the conversation? No, yeah, no, no, I was wondering when we were going to talk about deep fakes and yeah, that's going to be a, a ongoing problem and not just for porn, just for news, just for, you know, here, you know, Absolutely. whatever president so-and-so was seen, you know, whatever, throwing weasels into the crowd. You know, well, 
Um, or the, the concern I've got actually about deep fake is once deep fake becomes um, common, we'll just call it common for now, mm-hmm. um, then not only will there be deep fake videos created, but real videos will be. Um, no, no, that's deep fake. That's that's a fake video. That's just right. people will deny things. Very real, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so the the amount of confusion that its existence alone will cause, I think, is is very concerning. Um, because fact- it'll be able to do it in real time. I mean, you could fake stuff on a you know presidential rally or something or political right. rally. Right. That's going on right now, and you can insert anything you want into it. Weasels. Right. Weasels. <laughs> <laughs> including weasels of course you know that, that politicians are weasels already <laughs> more weasels true <laughs> yeah no and, and, what, and what's more 1984 than just being able to say oh this thing that you you see is not did not really happen it's not really happening right now you know just denying reality because you can claim it's a deep fake right yep. yeah yeah all right. Well, on that bright note, Kevin, <laughs> I, 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 th- I saw this story too. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, this, this one's pretty cool, but I, I have opinions about it. So the story is, uh, and I first saw it on Twitter because those, and then I saw it on CNN, and then you guys found another link on 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 on, on some other website. This is like Declare. totally totally gone viral. Man discovers man. <clears throat> excuse me. Man discovers. 30-year-old Apple computer still in working order. And if you read the guy's tweets, this is a guy, a gentleman, a New York uh, professor, and his name uh, is John Pfaff, which is a great name. And he found his old Apple II computer that had been sitting in his parents' attic for 30 years. And to his surprise, it turned on, and then he posted that to Twitter, and then he posted pictures of him, you know, restoring the, the, the game that he, you know, last played in 1985 or whatever, you know, uh, his, 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 his safe state for his game and then playing, uh, Olympic decathlon and, 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 uh, stuff like that. Um, and he was happy to have a bit of his youth back and to be able to recover his games and, and his word processing documents and whatever they were. Um, and it, it went, and went viral, and but but then it went like really viral and got into the news. Um, and I'm I'm happy for this guy, and it's awesome that he can play with his old machine and and that sort of thing. But it, I, as a person who uses old computers almost every day and goes to these vintage computer shows and and uh, that sort of thing. This is not surprising at all that a 30-year-old Apple computer still fires up. Um, most of them do. Um, and there's certainly parts that are more susceptible to failure, and what I can talk a little bit about. But um, it's, it, it is really not news that you can pull a, a machine out of your, your, uh, your attic or basement and turn it on and, and you know, play, play your old pac-man you know in uh, on a monaco monitor i i agree that's exactly what i thought when i saw this story i mean i my apple IIe i pulled out of storage uh, in other words took it out of the box just a few years ago mm-hmm. and i sold off a lot of the software because i had all these boxed games and as i each one i loaded up 
I mean, this was, I think it was like four years ago. Each one I loaded up, played for a little bit, took a, a, a photo of me playing it or the, of it on just to be able to sell it on eBay to say, mm-hmm. Hey, this game still works. Sure. And, and I didn't have any trouble really. I mean, and I, I wasn't surprised either. I was like, well, why I haven't touched the computer. Why would it not work? Why would it not boot up? And I know you use old computers all the time. Um, I know, of course, all the people that bought those games from me on eBay four years ago mm-hmm. uh, were probably using working Apple IIEs and wanted to experience that game that they just didn't have. Um, it seemed weird to me. I see this happen a lot on Reddit, like in the Mac or Apple uh, subreddits, mm-hmm. where people will post not even this. People will post like a, look what I found. And it's like a G4 iMac. You know, from fifteen years, twenty. You know, and they'll say, yeah. "Look at this old," thing. and then a bunch of people say, "Wow!" And yeah, okay. Granted, some of the people commenting on that are twenty-five years old, right? Right. And, they're, and you know, they're seeing this thing. So I remember that when I was a little kid. You know, and so maybe it's it's a matter of perspective. But I look at that and say, "I've got a G4 iMac in a box over here. And I'm sure it works perfectly fine." Right. And I'm sure some people are still using them. Sure. Yeah. Sure. The one thing that I did find at least noteworthy. Uh, you know, surprised me that he had as much success as he did with all of the floppy disks that he was reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, after that amount of time, that's the weak point, right? right? So, so yeah, the, I wanted to talk uh, about the, the 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 weak points a little bit. Yeah, floppy disks are probably the the, the number one. Um, they need to they needed to be stored well, not too much heat variation, certainly no magnetic field, and and no dirt. Um, you know, it's it's just it's the dirt that, that gets you. And it's po- certainly possible to get data off these old disks. I do it all the time. And sometimes you need to work for it a little bit, but yeah, that's the number one failure. Number two is uh, anything with a battery. Um, a 30 year old battery will explode. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Apple II is actually, I, if, if I'm, okay, I'm sure I'll get added by my friends, but I don't think any of the Apple IIs actually have batteries on, on the motherboard. Um, but if they do, they can explode and then they take out circuit traces with them. And, and uh, the other thing that can happen is uh, capacitors dry out, right. um, which isn't a big problem on Apple's, but certainly is on, on can be a problem on anything with a capacitor. Um, and the capacitors dry out, and then so you turn them on, they seem to be working for fine for a couple minutes, and then all of a sudden the magic smoke gets out. And, and you need to, and, but that's easy. You could, you could people, I mean, not easy for me, but people who know how to do these things can basically re- recap old computers and old monitors and, and uh, make them run like new. So those are the kind of the three main failure modes of these old machines. The one thing that the, uh, the story did remind me of that I hadn't thought about for a very long time were what they called flippy disks, mm. not floppy, but flippy. Right. Back in the day, uh, the in, information was actually recorded on only one side of the disk. Mm-hmm. And somebody got the bright idea of actually getting magnetic material on both sides of the disk. And then you would read one side, take the disk out, flip it over, and put it back in because they were um, symmetrical that way. Uh, just that, I thought that was kind of cute. And again, you know, that's another... Um, uh, what I would consider to be uh, an even weaker point for uh, magnetic material is having stuff like that that's designed to be flipped over while you're using it. <laughs> right. You should try that, uh, um, Randy, with your, your new uh, four terabyte hard drive. Yeah. Flip, it, flip yeah. it over and see if you can, you can store twice as much information on it. 
But I have to get that little tool where I can notch out the right. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you definitely need to make a notch. Yeah, notch. Yep. yeah make a notch. <laughs> you get eight gigs. You can get eight gigs out of that, or eight terabytes out of that if you just uh, make a notch in the ones. And it's there. not enough to just flip over the USB connector. Oh, okay. <laughs> which, which, which we do, do that anyway. anyway. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know. So anyway, I'm happy to see old computers in the news. Um, it's, it's just so random that this one happened to this guy, you know, um, but whatever people are talking about apple twos and that's that's great so he did a nice job of documenting it on twitter i mean there's lots and lots of pictures and lots of different things that he started playing and clearly he was having a great time and he was taking a lot of people along for the ride so that was kind of absolutely yeah there's some definite g whiz in there which was infectious yeah Yeah, absolutely so that's that's my news on that what's next so leo this this next one i found out about from you and uh i convinced you to talk about it yeah, and what's interesting about it is where I, where I first heard about it. So um, the LA Clippers have signed a new IT contract. That's not news. What is news is who they signed it with, Amazon Cloud Services or AWS. The reason that's news is because the major majority owner of the Los Angeles Clippers is former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer. So... That was, you know, it's just interesting to see him not use or not sign a contract with Microsoft for Microsoft's competing Azure cloud services, but in fact, use Amazon's. The place I discovered it, I heard about this for the very first time, was in a Facebook group of Microsoft old timers. Uh, It actually uh, popped up there. And as you can imagine, uh, the comments have been interesting. Uh, They range from uh, uh, not particularly polite (laughs) to to actual comments and say, you know, I mean, there are so many valid reasons why this might be the right thing to do. Everything from existing infrastructure to AWS wanted to, you know, has a competitive advantage to for some re- for whatever features or functionality that the Clippers are trying to use to AWS saw a marketing opportunity because now all of a sudden we're talking about it. Um, so they just made him a better deal and so on. But it was, uh, it was fascinating. Uh, a, that the Clippers have uh, an IT department. You know, you don't think of that kind of stuff. Any for, big business should. For basketball teams of all things. But yeah, oh, absolutely. It does make sense. It's just not the first thing you think of when you think of Clippers. And um, the fact that uh, Steve made what appears to be a business decision that uh, is surprising given he, that he is, in a sense, making a decision in, um, in opposition to his own self-interest in that he is still one of, if not now the uh, largest uh, shareholder of Microsoft stock. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But, of course, it made news. And, of course, it got a lot of, of, of ex-Microsoft, long-term Microsoft people talking. You'd think he could get a discount. He probably could. I mean, there's, there's, you know, like I said, that's all part of, of what very likely could be a very complex situation. Um, he could get a discount, but like I said, um, AWS was motivated perhaps to make a bigger discount uh, just for the PR, if nothing else. Uh, but who knows? It's definitely a publicity coup for Amazon. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out from their technology side uh, to see how that goes. I just thought it was cute. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I don't need to go any deeper than that. I, that's just what I thought was very amusing by it. So there you go. Yep. So speaking of amusing. Yeah. Uh, uh, an episode or two ago, we talked about the guy who, um, he was the founder of a cryptocurrency company and he died and took the password with him to the grave uh, and now $190 million of customer money cryptocurrency is tied up and cannot be retrieved because this is an unbreakable cipher. Well, of course, very quickly it started going around the suspicion that he faked his death and he's not really dead because after all, he died in India and you can do things there like buy a fake death certificate. So it's, it's interesting that... Um, that this is going around. It's going to be interesting to see if he actually uh, is dead or not and whether we find out or not. Um, and another little twist to it was in a podcast a few years ago, Bloomberg says he said that the way he does it is, you know, does a backup to make sure that nobody can crack it by, you know, breaking into his computer or whatever. He just prints out the keys and puts them in a safe deposit box. So, Maybe that'll turn up. If he is dead, maybe they'll, uh, they'll get it. But in the meantime, a lot of investors are out of luck because their money is effectively gone. So there's one thing that strikes me as suspicious about the suspicions, if you get yeah. one. Um, it seems like it, my theory is that he's really dead. Uh, the reason I say that is because if this cryptocurrency is implemented like most cryptocurrencies. In other words, there's a public blockchain associated with um, all of this cryptocurrency. Then what's inaccessible is your ability to access certain things because you don't have the keys that grant you the appropriate access. But that doesn't mean they're not there and that doesn't mean that they can't be watched. So if he actually ever attempts to access some of this currently inaccessible cryptocurrency, I believe it's noticeable. You may not be able to trace it. You may not be able to identify who's doing it, but that there is activity on this supposedly inaccessible money is, in most, in most cryptocurrencies, um, something that could be noticed. So, again, I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical about the skepticism. Well, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to hear your your feedback on it because, you know, did his body come home? And if so, you can DNA test it and prove that it's him. So it, uh, it, it just seems kind of interesting. And, you know, I'm not really a big one for conspiracy theories either. Right. Um, yeah. And the fact that he died in India, I forget what it was. He was like building hospitals or something silly like that. I mean, it definitely has the makings of. Uh, uh, you know, a, a scam, so to speak. Um, but there's just this one niggling technical issue that kind of, kind of makes me wonder about the whole thing to begin with. So, um, and the fact that he supposedly has his crypto keys in a bank vault, I find um, a good on him if that's actually what he did. Um, bad on whoever can't find them, uh, which is also kind of, kind of hinky. And maybe they eventually will. So, yep. 
We'll see. So, but none of this invalidates the position that I took last time, which is back up, back up your keys, back up your whatever. just back it up. And what he, what he supposedly did, printing them and putting them in a safety deposit box, that's fine. That's, that's perfectly valid. That's a, that's a good way to do things if, if you want to go to that. To, to and it can't be remotely hacked. Correct. Somebody's got to type all those in, though, if they do find it. Uh, for $190 million, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. I think you, hire, you can hire somebody to type in, <laughs> type in that key. Double check. I would type it in. Hell, why not? Sure. All right. So, Gary, autonomous bikes and scooters. Yeah, I thought this was really bizarre and interesting. So, you know, like like a, like Portland and Seattle, I think, uh, the – you know, uh, bikes and scooters are everywhere. You know, we have, um, I don't know, it's got to, I've lost count how many companies are now competing in Denver with scooters. 185. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and there are several bike companies too. And those bikes are great too, because they're electric assist bikes. So they're, it's not like, you know, it's like, all right, I'll bike home, but you know, it takes effort. It's like electric assist is almost, you know, you're almost just riding on it. You're barely moving your legs to, to go places. So it's great. And there, this article is talking about that a uh, future generation of these, specifically Uber is working on this, could be autonomous, <laughs> which is amazing. Now, th- what they, they don't mean is like autonomous cars, you know, the idea is the car is driving itself and you get in the car and it drives you places. That's not what they mean. Like you wouldn't get on a scooter or on a bike and then just read a book while it, took you somewhere um it what they mean as unbelievable as this sounds is that at the end of the day instead of somebody collecting these things they would just go home by themselves <laughs> and it's home in charge yeah yeah mm-hmm. no one in charge yeah to go home and charge or just to relocate themselves to like you know so maybe in the morning a lot of people head towards downtown or you know and and then some need to go back for you know later on so some of them maybe during the day head back I don't, I can't even fathom how that's going to work. I mean, they seem to be serious about wanting to do that. I, I can't imagine the first time somebody sees a bike just going, to, you know, on the bike path. And stopping at the red light. Stopping at the lights, waiting. I mean, how is it, you know, just the balance thing itself. It's like, how they do that? And then, um, and yeah, just, you know, did you have like a little stream of them, you know, 20 bikes coming down your street, heading towards <laughs> some, charging station or something like that or the scooters too as well uh but you know if they can get it working it saves a lot of money um you know having to have people that charge them up you know collect them and charge them up and stuff it's probably one of the biggest expenses well and i'm looking reach- forward to the first lawsuit of an autonomous riderless bicycle crashing into an autonomous riderless scooter <laughs> yeah from two different companies right yeah exactly yeah. Digitally, well, you know, they're digital, so they digitally argue, they'll digitally argue it out, sue each other, and and it'll all happen in, in a fraction of a second, and then they'll go on their way. <laughs> they'll go on their way, and and that's it. I saw something recently on the the Twitters. Uh, someone was saying like I, uh, that they can't believe that autonomous vehicles are going to be able to be a thing when you can't even convince a vending machine to accept a dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah, or or let go of your candy bar, <laughs> right? Just yeah, hanging in there for you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's, this, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's this one turn 
uh, when we're driving our, our car and has assisted driving stuff. And even when it's not turned on, when you come around this one corner, it always like beeps really loud. Like it thinks you're about to hit another car. It just, you know, just, it just, it's, it's trying to warn you not to, but it's nothing there. Like there might be one car parked on the side of the road or something. And it's really, you know, that kind of thing makes me really worried that it's, it's never going to work. It's not going to work out. It's not ready for prime time. Yeah. 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 Never is a long time. I, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement, but, and I think, you know, in my car, it's, I've seen improvement over the course of, of the last you know couple of years yeah. where, um, for example, sharp-ish turns that I would never have let the car take on its own. I've very carefully let the car take on its own lately, and it's actually doing all the right things. So I'm mm-hmm. seeing improvement at any rate. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that at some point um, your car and the software in it will be able to say, oh, yeah, this is, I, I get this. This is okay. Yeah. Well, I think they just want us to get us used to seeing rows of, 20 or 50 autonomous vehicles going down the street by themselves to, to, you know, to charge themselves. And then that, that's how the robot uprising starts. They get us for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. They're not, they're not causing any trouble. They're just going to recharge, mm-hmm. get yeah. ready for the morning commute. So till there's 10,000 have surrounded your neighborhood. And why do they have weapons? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I've noticed like, uh, that, you know, when I, just my rear camera, right, you know, it beeps if there's, if it thinks there's an object there, but it, with the recent snow, sometimes it's like, it beeps and there's nothing back there. Except snow. Just, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it doesn't know what it's looking at. It sees a field of white and it's like, hey, just watch out. You got to look at this on your own, buddy, because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, once the car, once autonomous vehicles really start, like we really start to see the, you know, the taxi slash uber slash lifts you know uh, around or corporate cars and we they they start to get real data like now they've just got you know there's three cars being tested right now on the road in say san francisco that's a limited amount of data if if suddenly there's a fleet of say three thousand cars that are out there which still is like three thousand cars in a big city you probably won't even see them right but that's a ton of data though it's like you know a thousand times more data that they would be getting every day. And then you go to 6,000 cars and then 60,000 cars. And suddenly the data feedback becomes huge. And they and you got, can't get online because the internet swamped. Yeah. You have swamped with cars sending back data and stuff, <laughs> but you know, they, but they'll collect, be collecting so much data that will then be able to go back into making them safer and work better and, and all of that. So too much internet traffic. That's kind of traffic. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> That, that's kind of my understanding of how Tesla's auto- autonomous system or, or at least a driver assist works is that they use a neural network based feedback from um, all the cars on the road to improve all the cars on the road. Yeah. yeah I occasionally see a little update in the news of, you know, Tesla now has X billion miles of mm-hmm. data from, you know, autopilot or whatever. So yeah, they're collecting data mm-hmm. and they're so using so with the scooters now, with the non-autonomous scooters, you've got these people that they go and they pick up one of those scooters and they throw it into a creek or, you know, just put it up on a tree or something. I mean, it's happening in every city, right? There's just people that I, I don't like change. I don't like technology, whatever. And they decide to mess with these things. 
And then there's those people that love to photograph them and put them on Instagram. There's, you know, <laughs> it's, no, it's like a thing, right? It's trying to get these photographs of scooters that have been abused in some way. And so you're probably going to get the same thing, even worse, you know, autonomous vehicles. I think if you're driving around in some old beat up pickup truck, right? And sure, if you see something and there's somebody sitting in the back seat, you probably don't mess with it. But if you see one of these cars, there's nobody in there, right? It's just returning home or going to a charging station or whatever. Uh, it's going to be really tempting to uh, to want to try to mess with it, right? Pull in front, pull in front of it, come to a stop, have your buddy pull behind it, and I don't know. They're going to have to uh, code up some kind of uh, escape mode or evade, you know, evasion, evade tactics or something like that. Something or just an alert or you know, police have been notified. Please move your vehicles away. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but. But It'll yeah, will, just traffic. It'll just <laughs> there will there will be people that will want to mess with these things, just as they're messing with the scooters right now. They just need a self destruct in each scooter. Step away from the scooter, or just one in one in every hundred, right? Just enough for it to be a deterrent. <laughs> it's like I don't know if you want to pull, do that. You know, a buddy of mine did it, and yeah, it just blew this, up his face. The body of this, of this scooter has been infused with corbomite. <laughs> what a maneuver okay exactly that that probably got about three people you know to recognize what i was talking about yeah oh probably 10 percent. yeah all well, right so you know a whole bunch of episodes ago i mean months ago i was rolling my eyes that certain news sites were detecting that i was arriving there in incognito mode and they said no you can't you can't look at our site in incognito and uh, leo i remember you were going well how did they figure that out well there's an answer to that the there's a file system api built into uh, google chrome it's also supported by opera and it's disabled in incognito mode so that's the difference that they were detecting. So Google has uh, apparently listened to that episode and me complaining about it because they're right. going to take that out of Google Chrome. So they're going to stop them from being able to do that, which I think is a, a neat thing to do because, you know, I've, I'm using incognito more and more because I'm sick and tired of looking at an article. I'm in a writer. I research tons of things to write about. And just because I search for an article on BlaFu widgets doesn't mean I want 50 more articles about BlaFu widgets. Thank ads, you, Google. Ads about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and right now it's, it's Google that's just feeding me all these articles. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm done with that. Yeah. I've moved on. So I've been using Incognito a lot, and then I come across a, a newspaper or TV station uh, news site that says, oh, no, we're not going to let you do that. And plus, there's a handful of sites that won't let you go in there if you've got an ad blocker installed. Right. Yeah. And which I don't even have an ad blocker installed. Just my kind of the default behavior of my whatever browser I happen to be using sometimes will trigger that. And it's just like, no, you can't look at an article in this. You know, I'm just like, okay, fine. Then goodbye then. You know, I, I don't want to. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I run, I do run an ad blocker. I run, well, I run a Privacy Badger, which is technically mm -hmm. not an ad blocker, but it ends up blocking ads because ads typically end up tracking your behavior. Yeah. Um, so I do end up running into sites that that not, very few of them now are actually um, 
preventing me from uh, getting access. What they do instead um, is they say, hey, we see you're using an ad blocker. Here are your choices. And almost always lately, one of the choices is, yep, I'm an evil person. Just let me see your content. <laughs> um, which is usually the approach that I take because the other approaches are disable the ad blocker for this site, in which case you're inundated with like a gazillion ads um, or, um, you know, pay a few bucks for a, for a three day pass or something like that. I've heard it, it varies. And that's not a model that works for me either for many of the same reasons that it doesn't for you, Randy, is that I'm also doing online research for various tech issues. And no, I, I, there are so many different sites that have good content on them that you end up bouncing around between them all. There's no way you could afford to pay for multiple passes across all of these different things. So, yeah. And I also see the, you're using an ad blocker, you know, you can't do that on this site. Mm -hmm. And it's only because I'm in incognito. I do not have an ad blocker. Mm -hmm. And it says, you know, you're blocking our ads. It's like, well, what's that? And that, and that, and that, and that. <laughs> I've got 44 ads on this screen. Come on. Yeah, but the mean? one they care about, you blocked. Apparently. Or the, <laughs> the incognito blocked, or, or probably more likely the tracker is being blocked. Right. Yep. So it's funny because... Um, another related uh, piece of news related to Google Chrome popped, I think it was just yesterday. Uh, last week, I think it was, news broke that Google was going to change Chrome that in such a way that uh, they would actually cause most ad blockers to stop working. And of course, that was the headline. You know, Google breaks, uh, Chrome is going to break ad blockers. Um, in reality, uh, what they were going to do was force ad blockers to be rewritten in a certain way uh, because they were changing some of the APIs associated with, with how, how ad blockers interact with the system. Well, apparently, uh, they've elected to backtrack on that decision. Uh, the headline is Google backtracks on Chrome modifications that would have crippled ad blockers. And in looking into it, the original justification for this API change that they had uh, suggested or I planned on uh, was performance. And one of the ad blockers, Ghostery, I think it was, did the math. They did the test and they determined that no, no, it really wasn't going to make that much of a difference. And no, you're you're not you're not telling the whole story if that's what your stated reason is. And as a result, yep, ad blockers are apparently going to continue to work in Chrome. Uh, pretty much as they always have. It's unusual to see Google backtrack on a decision like that. They usually That's make, for sure. They usually make those decisions and just stick to their guns. But it's nice to see them actually respond to um, well-researched and documented uh, alternative data that says, no, you know, the reason you're saying is the reason it is. Speaking of alternative data, this is no longer the tech enthusiast hour. So we have gone over. <laughs> oh. Well, that's good. <laughs> Tech enthusiast hour and two so far. Mm, nice. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up then. Okay. All right. Anything else we need to talk about? Like what we're doing next week or shall I just close it out? We'll talk about that next week. Shut her down. <laughs> All right. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh59. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the teh podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. Bye. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Bye.